This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. You ready? Come on, let's do this. We've got 1 Corinthians that we are going to jump into, brand new sermon series, and uh, it's gonna, the, ser- the series is going to be called Love Summons. We will get to why we are calling that Love Summons. You'll get a part of that today, and it'll unfold as we go through. Um, but this is probably part of uh, the intention where we're going to go of discussing quite a few of Paul's letters. And so the first one is uh, 1 Corinthians that we are going to talk about. But did you know that 1 Corinthians did not parachute into the world uh, without context? Did you know that? That it actually is part of a greater story. In fact, there are 65 other books uh, that are part of that story. And so what I would like to do for you is I would simply like to take, well, a brief journey uh, through the KBC years. Because uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but my intended goal is to preach all 66 books and then die. Okay? That's my intention in life is to preach them all. And go. Uh, And so we're about 24 in, believe it or not. So I got about 42 left, uh, and some of them are bigger. (laughs) Thank heavens there's some big ones in there. Um, But we did just cross off a big one. Genesis is the most recent one that we looked at. And uh, what what we really were kind of talking about was wrestling with God. And as I began to kind of put it within the context of of the big message that we've been uncovering you know, we're kind of like archaeologists in here, right? We go to scripture and we, uh, we start to see some things. And so we take our little brushes out and we start to wipe away the dust, right? The dirt, because something is uncovering for us uh, that is going to be good for us. And, and one of the things that we've uncovered uh, is this idea of corruption, right? Now, that's not a new idea. Uh, the, the history of the church has talked about it as sin, But we live in such a post-Christian world that the word sin is like, everybody shuts their ears and and stops listening to you as soon as you use that word. But boy, when you use corruption, oh, people can resonate with the idea of corruption. Uh, Certainly they can see it outside of themselves. And then the more we kind of circle it, the more we go, ooh, I I think I see it within me as well. Um, And so really when we think about why Do we have freedom to wrestle with God? Well, part of the reason is because we chose corruption. We wouldn't need to wrestle with God if corruption uh, weren't a part of our our story. And so as you think about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the rest, those stories that we we just finished in Genesis, we can think about how we uh, wrestle with him And the result of that wrestling is because corruption came in and gave us a bunch of things to think about. Uh, And we'll get to some of those things uh, in a little bit. We we looked at Judges a couple of years ago. I'm going to guess like, say, four or five years ago. Uh, Anybody remember Judges? Okay. We we looked at that. And and really, uh, I phrased it just a little bit differently. But here's what Judges was about. It was trusting the law would have made the difference. Because when you go through Judges, you start off kind of okay because it follows Joshua. So the people of God have just entered and taken over the land. And so they were kind of fresh with all the memories of, of what God had done. 
And then it, we saw this spiraling down and out of control. And so many of those stories could have been different if they simply would have known the law and really the motive behind the law to bring life. Uh, but on the macro picture, Israel kind of rejected the law during that time frame. Uh, but there was some micro stories. And one of the micro stories was Ruth. Uh, she exists, that book, book exists within the judge's time frame. And, and that book is really, you could say that it was, well, trusting the law made all the difference. Uh, what an amazing story of Boaz, who demonstrated his trust and belief in the law, and, and so much life came to so many different people, including uh, Ruth and Naomi. Uh, and then uh, as we consider Ruth and Naomi, we, we recognize, oh, they are in the family line of whom? Of Jesus. And so Jesus' heritage was a family who trusted the law uh, to bring life, um, and it made all the difference. So uh, that was beautiful. We, we looked at that. Uh, even before that, we looked at Ecclesiastes. I, I don't know if you remember this, but Ecclesiastes, when we went through it, boy, do not go through Ecclesiastes one chapter at a time. It's a 12-chapter book, and 11 chapters end with what? Life is meaningless. And if you read that for 11 days, you're going to be like, why, why am I doing all this? Uh, now, chapter 12 brings it all back uh, and reminds us of, well, we're able to, uh, we're able to find meaning in a meaningless world. Uh, and part of that is this temporary rest uh, that we can have and achieve. And so finding meaning in a, in a corrupt world is, is maybe how we would phrase it uh, as a result of some of the last couple of series we've talked about. Uh, the Minor Prophets, we went through all 12 of the Minor Prophets, uh, and that was, oh, that was quite a few years ago. But each one of those prophets really was kind of a story about how Israel was addicted to their own corrupted will. Uh, and it was just, oh, that was a terrible, terrible time. Because when we really evaluate it, we look at it and we go, oh my goodness, that's me, that's us. We are addicted to our own will. So we had an opportunity to really hold the mirror up to our own life, to our own culture, to our own engagement and go, oh my goodness, we're not much different than the Israelites at all. Uh, and so what does it take to overcome addiction? Right? And I think of, uh, I always kind of point out here to the, the breezeway, that's where AA meets. And AA is maybe some of the best church that you can go to uh, in, in reality. Now, they, they've, they've kind of deviated. They talk about more of a general God than, you know, maybe I would want them to do. Because salvation is found in Jesus, right? Uh, but they do have this aspect of going, I need help that comes outside of me. That's supernatural. Uh, and I credit them for being able to come together as an assembly of people and confess their need uh, for this supernatural help. Um, and so in many respects, that's really what we are here, is a group of people that come together and go, man, we need some help. Uh, Lord, have mercy. Um, then we, we dove into Matthew. That was the first uh, gospel that we looked at. And... Um, he says something over and over in Matthew, blank, the kingdom of heaven is near. What is the blank? Blank, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. 
right? We talked about how we need to change stuff, right? Change our mind, change our thinking, and that ultimately will go into a change of heart and a whole change of direction for our lives, right? Well, if we put it in, in kind of more words that we've been using lately, well, it would be avoid corruption for the kingdom of heaven is near, is maybe how we would frame that conversation. The message that Jesus comes down is avoid corruption. The kingdom of heaven is near. Oh, that sounds, I like, the, I like the sound of that. We went into Luke, and, and uh, while it still maintains some of that avoid corruption because it's the message of Jesus, well, the reality was that he, he's gathering a, gr- a group of disciples and he's training them. And it's followed up by the same author writing Acts and, and these disciples in action and how they're being trained and acting out this life that avoids corruption and, and really spreads the good news to other people as well, all aided by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts is super important for our study in 1 Corinthians. And so in order to, to you know, there's a method to the madness up here, folks. I know, I know largely you just see the madness but there is a method behind it. And in order to understand 1 Corinthians, we really needed that foundation of some of that gospel uh, and then some of Acts to be able to hear the story of, how, uh, of this Apostle Paul and, and, and Peter and how some of these early converts to Christianity were engaging with this new resident, a new resident called the Holy Spirit. He's residing within us and empowering us to overcome corruption. Uh, well, we also need to, need to know uh, Romans. You can't understand any of Paul's books if you don't know Romans first. It's not even the first book that he wrote. Did you know that? But every Bible, you know, there's different Bibles with different uh, lists and, and order of, of scriptures uh, that have been throughout uh, time. Now we've basically settled in on the same thing. But regardless of, of which Bible, Romans was always put as the very first book uh, that, uh, of Paul's. And, and the reason is because it's a defense of God's righteousness. It is the gospel that he took everywhere. And so as he's this missionary going out into the Mediterranean region, everywhere he goes, the, the gospel that he is preaching is found right in Romans. Now, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, all his other letters assume that gospel. So we have to know that gospel in order to do it. Now, uh, you can, you, we're going to be going through Romans, so I would encourage you to read back into it. But remember what Romans, Paul is doing in Romans. He's saying, God is not corrupt. You've got to start with that. right? That's the foundation of his thing. And so he goes through, and what we said at the time when we preached it was, it was a defense of God's righteousness. And so he, because what we do as humans, we, we look at him, we point the finger at him and go, ah, this is terrible, it's all corrupt, and you are corrupt too, and why would you do it? If I were God, I wouldn't have done it this way, blah, blah, blah. And Paul goes, oh, no, no, uh-uh. When it comes to this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue, boom, God is not corrupt, and he defends his righteousness. And then he appeals to us, going, on the basis of God's righteousness, you ought to want his righteousness for your life as well. Uh, and so we have to know Romans in order to do that. God is not corrupt. James, what a beautiful book. Now, we're in a Lutheran church, so I hesitate talking about James because the Lutherans, boy, they do not like James. Uh, Luther said, that's a straw epistle. 
uh, because it didn't really fit with his understanding because James comes back and says, well, in order to have true faith, what do you got to do? You got to have works. And, and Luther was coming out of a whole overwhelmingly works-based religion and going, you guys have forgotten about faith. And so he's coming out of an environment where he's like, teaching about works is the last thing the church needs right now. I can't be spending time on James, okay? I'm spending time in Romans where you need to hear about faith and how that is what justifies you. But nevertheless, we did look at James and James is a beautiful illustration of the Sermon on the Mount. James went into the Sermon on the Mount and he said, okay, I'm going to teach people exactly how to live out the Sermon on the Mount. And he just walks right through, takes aspects of the Sermon on the Mount, and then elaborates on why we should live uh, the way that Jesus invites us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. And then I don't know if you remember First and Second Peter and Jude, the small books uh, kind of near the end, uh, but we talked about how it's a narrow path. Uh, and that, that path is very narrow, and, and you need to, how do you stay on this narrow path? Uh, we might say now, with the language we're using, staying on the path, or staying off the path of corruption, right? But this is where we have been in almost 11 years of Kona Bible Church, and these are the books we've gone through, and they provide a bit of the context for 1 Corinthians, but let's jump in. The background of 1 Corinthians is somewhat interesting. Paul is an interesting character. Now, I'm going to give you some dates and ages and that kind of thing that are not settled with. This is not part of Scripture. If you want to argue with me, you're welcome to. I will not die on this hill. I'm just giving you these things to consider, okay? First of all, Jesus was not born in zero. Did you know that? There is no zero. Did you know that? It goes from 1 a, uh, BC to 1 AD. There's no zero. Okay, so Jesus is, so when was he born? Okay, well, uh, you know, the guy who did the timeline and did the whole AD app because uh, in the year of our Lord, blah, 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 right? He went back, did the best he could with the evidence that he had at the time, and he was like, it's right around one. It's got to be. That's, that's the we now have better evidence that would seem to suggest that Jesus was probably born 4 or 6 BC. Okay. Uh, also, uh, there is some, some debate about this, but they've narrowed it down to likely being his death years being either A.D. 30 or more commonly, I think, for, for us, we think A.D. 33. So that puts him in his mid-30s when he dies. Remember, uh, there's some testimony in Scripture that says he was about 30 when he started his ministry, uh, and he had a three-year ministry uh, you know, in, in that regard. Uh, now, Paul, on the other hand, he was probably born around A.D. 5, okay? So he's, you know, 5, 10 years younger than Jesus. Uh, if you get to A.D. 33, well, he's only 20, what, 28 when Jesus is crucified. If it's A.D. 30, he's only 25. Remember, he's being trained as a Pharisee. Dun, dun, dun. Right? We hear Pharisee and we're like, oh, he's a horrible human being. The reality is if you lived back uh, at this time, time frame and your neighbor was a Pharisee, you'd be happy because your Pharisee was one of the, you know, he was a decent person. Pharisees uh, respected the law. Now, they respected it so much that they had kind of a, a, a way of handling the law that didn't bring life. 
Your neighbor, if he was a Pharisee, well, he might be a little judgmental, right? But he believed the word, okay? And part of what I mean by that is he believed in a literal or maybe even what we would call today hyper-literal interpretation of Scripture. And what that means is that he believed in the resurrection, okay? A Pharisee believed that that the resurrection of all dead people would happen uh, at the culmination of the last day. Uh, Also believed in angels and spirits. Uh, And this is contrasted to a group of people known as the Sadducees who did not believe in that. In fact, the Pharisees believed the entire Tanakh. That's Torah, Nephaim, and Kephaim, which can make up the entire Old Testament. They believed all of that was the true revelation of God. Whereas the Sadducees, they looked at it and they said, no, 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 <laughs> nope, no, Ezra, Nehemiah, Job, Esther, Psalms, all those things, all the prophets, uh, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, all them, that's not the true revelation of God. The only revelation of God is the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? So if you were a Pharisee, uh, man, those Kona Bible Church people would like Pharisees because they believed the word of God in a more literal sense than, say, the Sadducees. And I hate to say it, and I didn't say it in this morning's, but the, the Lutherans or the mainline denominations would be maybe a little bit more like the Sadducees, okay? Uh, having a religiosity, right, on, on appearance, but not necessarily believing everything in a, in, in a literal sense, uh, and so you, you see that uh, there were, it's kind of two ends of the pendulum, uh, and you can end up in error on both of those, right? And, and certainly the Pharisees did because they were the ones who were uh, partly responsible. They were kind of the arch nemesis of Jesus because Jesus coming back and going, no, you've forgotten about the spirit of the law. You're only focused, you love the law so much, but you're only focused on the letter of the law And because of that, you are bringing death to people as opposed to what the law was supposed to do and bring life to people. So when you hear that word Pharisee, right, I hope that you can kind of understand, okay, not terrible people. They would have been nice neighbors, but they they would have been a little judgy. And, And I think, you know, when you think about evangelical churches, they might be a little judgy, right? Uh, and so we can learn from the errors of both of those parties, all right? This is what Paul was trained in, to be a Pharisee. He would have eventually sat on the council, uh, and, but we don't believe that he was on the council when Jesus was condemned, but he was there pretty quickly afterwards, not as a member of it, but remember, uh, Paul was an enemy of the church, In fact, when Stephen was stoned to death, uh, the people who stoned him laid their cloaks at Paul's feet, right? Because he was kind of sponsoring them or supporting or kind of giving okay. From from that stoning, he went on to persecute the church, going far and wide, uh, even to Damascus, where it was on that road where Jesus had that supernatural encounter with Paul. Uh, Paul. Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Uh, who are you, Lord? Uh, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Uh, and, and he had that remarkable transformation. And, and it's a beautiful story for 
Well, the rest of us, I think, because then what we recognize in Paul's life is it doesn't matter what you've done. You are not beyond the point of grace. And so while Paul is in somewhat, in some senses, he's embarrassed about his former life, uh, and he says that even in his writings, I am the least of all the apostles because I once persecuted the church. Uh, Yet his persecution did not move him beyond the point of grace. And if that's the case, for us, because there's nothing that we can do that can go beyond the point of grace. Uh, And so uh, Paul acts as a beautiful illustration for us. Well, he goes on to champion. His name's changed from Saul to Paul. And he goes on to champion the gospel and take it all over the Mediterranean region and and preach this gospel and, and endure uh, many difficulties and trials as a result of that engagement of taking light into darkness and the darkness not wanting any part of it in many respects. Uh, but these little gatherings uh, popped up all over. Uh, and so uh, that's what I would invite you to consider is this idea of church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which actually go, has history within Israel's history. And, and Israel itself as a nation was known as a a people who would gather together. How many times a year, by the way, did they, did they gather together? For the feast, three times a year they would gather together. And, and what's so remarkable in the law is that Jesus would, or God would say about this, he'd say, I need you to all to go to Jerusalem so that you can worship me with what, by the way? How did they worship God? Food and drink. Boy, isn't that nice? Isn't God nice that he says, come to me to Jerusalem. You're all going to hang out and you're going to eat some meat and you're going to drink some wine. I can get behind that. Now, the, the, the fear factor would be, wait a minute, I have to leave my hometown. We're all spread out over Israel. But God says, uh, when you do this three times a year, I'm going to put the fear of me in the surrounding nations so that they will not attack your towns or your homes, uh, or your livestock, so that you can come worship me in peace. Now, that's a beautiful promise uh, that, it, that happens. And so even Israel was this gathering of people who were summoned. And that's, that's what ecclesia means, church means that. And so I'm hopeful today uh, that as we dive into what that looks like, that we are going to have a new approach to church uh, as, we, as we begin thinking about it. But the, before that, just the, the final thought is that church is also local and universal. In fact, it says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. From Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see what's going on there, right? He is writing to a local church, and he's going to be addressing some issues within the local church, but he's also including, well, all people of faith in this situation. And so when we think about church, there is this idea of going, yeah, there are these gatherings that get together, uh, but they happen all over the globe. Uh, and so, yes, there are these local churches, but there is also kind of a universal church. And when you think of local gatherings, well, you could think of 
Uh, Lutheran Church of the Holy Trinity, Kona Bible Church, West Hawaii Church of the Sovereign Lord, Shorebreak. You can think of uh, uh, Living Stones. You can think of Grace Community Church. You can think of Calvary Community, right? Like, and then you could kind of collectively talk about the Church of Kona, right? And how we all are, are, are participants of this Church of Kona. And there are these moments and times uh, that the Kona Ministers Fellowship have kind of designated like, hey, you know what? Every once in a while, it's good for the Church of Kona to get together. Uh, Sharma and Doran put on the uh, worship concerts beyond four walls. This is an opportunity for the Church of Kona to get together and, and really demonstrate to the community it is not about our local gathering place. It is about us gathering together and worshiping God. Uh, we also have the uh, Easter sunrise service that the Kona ministers, uh, anywhere from two to 4,000 people get together uh, sunrise on Easter Sunday down at Old A's, an opportunity to see the church of Kona gather together uh, and, and be able to demonstrate to the community that it is more than just our local place of worship. Uh, we are about more than that. Uh, and we'll dive into that further, but that there's universal and local aspects to it. Well, here's what I want you to, to recognize here. Uh, one is that just the word ecclesia. Now, we don't use that word anymore, so now you're going to have to start thinking of this. When you hear the word church, and that's where the word gets hijacked, our culture hijacks words, right? Our, hi, uh, uh, our culture has hijacked marriage, for example, right? What, what the government means by marriage and what the church means by marriage are two totally different things. Maybe not totally, but they are different, Okay? Uh, well, the word church can get hijacked. We are going to reorient ourselves around the biblical understanding of church. And what it means is that God summons a group of people to gather. Now, who is, has the ability to summons somebody? Now, I summons you every Tuesday, Monday night and Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, as a pastor, I'm like, hey, guys, we got a pastor's pick. Do you want to come to come pastor's pick? Right? And you're like, you're no authority in my life. I'm not coming. I'm out. I don't want to come. You have that freedom. I don't begrudge you in the least for not coming, okay? That's, I don't feel bad about that at all. But somebody with authority in your life, whether you want to know it or not, whether you acknowledge his authority or not, has summoned you to gather. That's God. Now, in order to drive that home, I want you to think of authorities in your life, and if they were to summon you, what would that look like? And so, for jury duty, if you were summoned, or believe it or not, you can use the word summonsed. You know, they're interchangeable, basically. They have slight nuance, but if you hear me going back and forth from summoned to summonsed, Please, give me a little grace, okay? All right? They are both words that have generally the same meaning. If you were to get a jury summons, uh, there might be some rebels in the crowd that would say, well, I can't say what I want to say, but I'm in a church building after all. Ah, the heck with you! I'm not going! But what would you be putting yourself at risk? Yeah, legal issues you'd be having a problem because the, the state has the ability to summons you to show up for jury duty. 
Okay? Uh, other authorities have that. If, if the mayor were to come and summon you to a meeting to talk about Kona or, or something, would you, in your mind, ah, don't, don't act with that guy, I'm not going, or would you feel the responsibility of going, well, the mayor's talking, he's called me, right? This is what church is exponentially greater because it is the God of the universe who has summoned you to gather together. Now, in words that Luke has used over and over and over in our Kona Bible Church, and I, I, you know I'm a man of repetition, so I love when he says this, church is not man's idea. It is God's idea, right? What he is trying to do is trying to reorient you to understand that on Sunday morning, it's not as if you really have the option to stay home and watch football. Right? That, can you imagine telling the, the judge, you know, judge, I would have come for jury duty, but there was a game on. You would, ne- you would never use that excuse. Right? And so part of what I want you to do is when you hear church, you hear, you begin to understand the God of the universe has called me to gather with one another. Uh, you, you're welcome to wrestle with him about that. You're welcome to kind of volunteer excuses to him and, and just see how they sound to you. You know, God, I go, but it's a really, the waves are huge today. I go, but, and you're welcome to wrestle with him. The beautiful thing about his authority is that he does so with amazing what? Amazing grace. So, uh, but what I want you to, I, I think anytime, what, what does Paul say when he starts talking about grace? Should we abuse his grace? Because we are forgiven of all our sins, should we go out and sin more? What does he say in Greek? He says, may it never be, meganoita, may it never be. Don't ever allow your use or your reception of grace to give you the excuse to absolve you from your responsibility. And, And the same thing goes, when you hear church, you need to hear the authority has called me to gather, okay? Now, he has done so with great grace. Okay, so somehow we have to walk with this tension of going, uh, I want to be able to, to be able to hear that summons for what it is. He is calling me because he wants me to experience life. And, and go, remember, we as human beings have to, have to be very careful that we don't go Pharisee on it and go, I gotta go to church because he called me. No, we go, I've heard the call that he wants me to experience life, and that's why I'm going, right? Receive life, give life, and that's part of it. It's these groups are being defined by being made holy. He says about the church that you are sanctified. That's what he says about that. Sanctified is this fancy word for being made holy, that this sanctification process is underway, that you have already been made holy, but you're not quite yet there, 
right? So there's this whole journey of faith where, where this group of people who are being summoned by God are holy and not yet holy at the same time. And that's an interesting dynamic when you begin to really think that out, okay? Let's, let's walk through that a little bit. In other words, in words that I would use, it's a gathering of those being separated from corruption, because that's what holy means, right? That you've, you've separated something out, you've taken it out of the common, and you've made it holy. Now, I'll give you a silly illustration. I don't weed in my Tommy Bahama shirts, okay? Uh, Leo and his son and my son and I, we were out there, we were weeding yesterday uh, in, in the grass, which you're all welcome to come join us. The next opportunity will be November 25th. It's a work day, or whatever that Saturday is, maybe it's the 26th, 26th, Saturday the 26th, you're 8 to noon, we're going to be here, we're going to be sprucing up the church for Christmas, I know, it's crazy, you guys put Christmas decorations up in a church, I, okay, grace, but we're also going to be cleaning windows, doing the weeding, there's all kinds of things, there's nothing, you can come and join us for that, November 26th, but we were out there, I don't go in my, my Tommy Bahama shirt, because what might happen? Calvin, in his crazy, wild manner of pulling weeds, will like grab and boom, dirt will come flying and crash into my shirt and get it all dirty. It's not true. It's not true. He doesn't do that at all. He's very careful about his weeding. He pulls gently, shakes the dirt, throws it into the can. There, is that better? Yeah, but it was funnier. It was funnier, right? Throwing him under the bus just like that. Sorry. Good for you. Not true. No, so we set aside, oftentimes, so they're, they're clothing that we set aside. Women, when you have, do you, China, is China part of your normal dishware, or do you separate that out and save that for special holy occasions? And holy I use loosely, right? But the idea going, wait a minute, there's something special about this, and we're separating it out. Well, guess what? That's who people of faith are. They're a group of people within the population who God has said, I'm calling you out to be separate so that you will not be a part of the corruption that is going on there, that you will have separated from your corruption. And I want you, I'm calling you, I'm summoning you to gather together, you people who are being separated from corruption. And you might look at that and go, I'm not corrupt. I've, what are you talking about corruption? Political? I'm not corrupt. Okay, let's, this is why we don't look at 1 Corinthians just isolated, but we look at it within the context of the Gospels or of Acts, and we learned a couple of ways that we experience corruption. One, our identity got corrupted. Remember, God made us in his image to bring order, purpose, and life everywhere we go. But that identity got corrupted. Uh, and, and we still fight with that corrupted identity. Some of us need to hear over and over, no, you've been called. Whatever, you, whatever your calling, your vocation is, whatever you do with your, your hands and your mind and your labor, the work that you do, you are to bring order, purpose, and life everywhere you go. Uh, other things that have been corrupted, our language has been corrupted, <laughs> I swear. I have a tongue that is corrupt. I will, I will, it does not take much, folks. I will, well, bam, 
and I will go after, I, I will just do it, right? Our tongues are corrupt, but that also, our tongues are not just corrupt in like, you know, like vicious language or corrupt language, but it, it, it also separated the races, right? Because we speak different languages, all of a sudden it separated the races and we now have racial disharmony, right? Uh, and uh, the, God bless, I swear, God bless uh, the bishop. Um, you, you met him, he was here, he's awesome. I mean, he's a man of faith in that sense is what I mean. Uh, and he's gonna walk us through some um, racial I forget exactly what it is, a class on racial tension or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, if, if we just read the Bible, if we just gathered together as people who have been corrupted and are trying to overcome that corruption, that's the ticket, okay? The gospel is the ticket to overcoming racial disharmony. You cannot, you cannot somehow sit in a church, identify yourself as a Christian, and hate another race. It is not possible to do that, okay? And so I'll go through the class. I'll do it, and you know, hopefully we'll, and I'll go through, I'll commit to you, I'll try to be positive. Try, try, I said try. And you know, we'll probably learn some tools and whatnot, but one of the things that I will say is, oh, you mean just like the gospel? I'll probably say that occasionally. Maybe a little smarmy. Oh, you mean just like it says in the gospel, right? Is that smarmy? Is that wrong? That's wrong. I probably will have to change that. But we have this, this corruption that affects our racial harmony, gender harmony. Look, there's a whole segment of, the, of, of people who work, uh, marriage and family counselors, right? Their whole existence is because we have gender harmony. Do you think our sexuality has been corrupted? I mean, honestly, folks, can we just be honest Let's take a look around and look at the sexuality. It exists in every segment, okay? Uh, we, we have sense of dependence, view of money, Bible interpretation. You know we have a corrupted Bible interpretation. There's 40,000 different denominations all saying they're right. That's not possible. Our prayers are corrupted. We pray for things that we shouldn't pray for, and we never pray for God's will because that's too dangerous. Uh, Lord, I need patience, but just like supernaturally infuse it into me because I don't really want your will to face challenges that would teach me how to be patient. I don't want that. Our prayers are corrupted. Our sense of control is corrupted. And our ability, I mean, when was the last time you were able to give a rebuke to somebody else? Okay, first of all, we're corrupt in how we give them, and we are definitely corrupt in how we receive rebukes. Okay? Now, wouldn't it be nice if there was a place where there were a group of people summoned by God himself to come together where these people were being transformed out of these corruptions and being separated from it so that they were holy? Wouldn't it be nice if there were places like that? There are all over the world. They're called churches. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a church like this. In fact, we've probably experienced churches where the culture has continued to allow the corruption to invade it and be pervasive in it. Okay, but that's not the goal. So as Paul is writing here, he is writing very simply in these first two verses, God has called you. So that when you come on Sunday morning, for the first thing that you need to orient yourself around is the fact that 
God has called me to go in to this group of people. Are you willing to answer the summons? That's my question to you. Are you willing to answer the summons? Are you going to be brash and, and arrogant enough to, to somehow look at that authority and go, no. Uh, what I've got planned on Sunday morning is bigger than you. Because that's what happens when you, when, when you choose something different than the gathering of believers, then that's what you're doing in essence is you're saying, I am my own authority and I am summoning myself to something different than what you have called me to do. All right? Secondly, when you walk through those doors, we've been kind of talking about this. Uh, are you coming with the intention to change with people in the process of, of changing? Right? That's an interesting concept to think about of going, wait a minute, I'm sanctified. That means I'm being separated from some of those corruptions that we listed right there, right? which means I have to, be, I have to change because I'm prone to want those things. I'm prone to want that corruption in my life, right? And so as I walk through those doors, what's happening is that what I'm committing to is I'm saying I don't want that corruption in my life. I'm intending to come in here and be empowered to be separated from those corruptions, and I'm going to do it with a whole bunch of people that are also trying to do it too, and who are on various uh, different spectrums of that journey, which means you're going to have to have grace for those folks, right? Because you may have gotten to the point where you're going, a summons, I do that every, every week. I, I answer the summons. It's awesome. I hear God call, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to church. Can't wait. What, you, you're not excited about going to church? <laughs> you are really far away from God, right? So, like, now you've just demonstrated a ton of corruption, Okay. FYI, but if you did that in like in just purity of heart and you've had this, you've separated yourself from so much corruption, still you're prone to that corruption and as you walk through those doors, you're, you're gathering together with a whole bunch of other people who are prone to that corruption but are being called to separate from it, which means that you're going to actually engage with people who are still yet to be completely separated from the corruption. So now all of a sudden we have to have this grace for one another. Oh, I can't believe pastor would do that. So you're going to have to have grace for me because I'm still in the process of being separated from the corruption. It's true of all the leadership. It's true of every single person who walks through these doors. Amen. So as we go through 1 Corinthians, that's, that's really the, some of the question that we're going to look at. Is what we have been calling church really church? Or do we need to begin to reorient ourselves around some of these ideas simply embedded in the meaning of the word? Father, that's my prayer. That when we hear these things, we begin to think about you and what you are trying to do for us. You are calling us so that we might experience life and give life. It happens when we believe that you are able to raise us back to life, that you're able to overcome the corruption because of who you are. You're not going to let corruption win. 
And you've, you've gone to great lengths to do that, sending your son to die and to forgive us of that corruption, and, and then sending your Holy Spirit out to, to reside in us, to empower us, to overcome it. Father, may we be these people who reflect your glory to the community like a light that attracts uh, others into this faith that we love so much. Father, it's in your son's name that we ask all these things, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.